Well, welcome back to the Heartland Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership and the way of Jesus. My name is Clint, and I'm joined today by our lead pastor, Dave Ambrose, Nicole Whitecall, and our special guest, Katie Cole. Katie is an author and a speaker, and she consults business leaders and ministry leaders to help them maximize the potential of female leaders in their midst. So we had a great conversation about some of her upcoming resources and her passion for developing and empowering female leaders. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, and now I bring you Katie Cole. Well, Katie, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you guys so much. I'm really excited to be here and looking forward to our conversation. Well, I was kind of perusing your company website, and it says that one of the taglines is, we lift lids regarding some of the barriers, challenges, and limitations we might find in our lives. Could you explain that a bit more and maybe how it relates to the topic at hand for today of women in ministry and developing female leaders? We Lift Lids is really kind of my imagery I see that holds uh, really our churches, but even our businesses, our families, us as individuals back, is that God has such an amazing call on each of our lives. He's gifted us with so many incredible gifts, abilities, experiences. You know, the Bible tells us even our worst, hardest times, even times when we've turned away from him, he wants to restore and redeem and use those for his glory. So we have all this potential, all this future that God has given us, but there we live in a broken world, right? We're broken people. There are these lids that we kind of bump up against that prevent us from really, um, accomplishing things, but more importantly, like enjoying the journey of being alive and walking with Christ and being a part of his kingdom. And so for me, there's two sides to that. One is as a follower of Jesus myself, as a person who leads a lot in a lot of different areas of my life at home and at work and in my church, in my family, like my extended family, I want to, I don't want any lids. I don't want to be less of a mom for my son because I've got this hang up from something or a blind spot over here. Uh, I don't want there to be a lid in how I can minister to my family, my extended family or in my workplace because I don't believe something that is true about me. I, ha I have that sticky floor or a mentality that's wrong. Uh, but then as an HR professional and as someone who works in leadership spaces a lot and does a lot of consulting with businesses and churches, we have lids in our organizations, in our systems. And we're going to talk today about female leaders, but from my vantage point, we have lids around all sorts of people in our systems because uh, when broken people make systems, the systems are inherently kind of broken. And so uh, I love systems. I love process. I've made a lot in my life and I can look back and feel proud of many of them, but I also see the hiccups. I see the lids I've put in them unknowingly. I see how the system worked once before, but now 15 years later, it's no longer relevant or the things that were really helpful to people are now actually harming people. And as a leader, especially a leader of an organization, if I've been there a long time, sometimes I get a little too attached to the system and not enough attached to the fruit. So therefore, I'm actually the lid of the organization, my own unwillingness, like my pride. So all of those things are the parts that when I come in and work with leaders or their teams, I'm trying to diagnose where are the lids and then which ones are the low hanging fruit that we can kind of scoop out of the way quickly. And then what are the ones that we can really make a strategic plan and say, you know, two years from now, this lid will be gone. And I can't wait to see what God's going to flourish once the lid is preventing him from doing his work. That's great, and I love that imagery of lifting the lid, but you used a really interesting f phrase in the midst of that, a sticky floor. Mm -hmm. Kind of the opposite, if you're in a jar and you lift the lid, that's all well and good, but if you're stuck to the floor, mm -hmm. 
not going to get anywhere. I know, Nicole, you were kind of itching to ask about that and how that's, you want to share a little bit about have you experienced that ever? And maybe Katie could comment on that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, typically in my background professionally, kind of growing up in corporate, never really experienced uh, resistance to any opportunity or any door that has opened. Always had full confidence in, in yep, this is for me and I'm gonna walk through this door. And being on staff here, I've had the opportunity of doing teaching, which is new for me. It wasn't anything that I would have seen for myself um, because I had an advocate in Dave as our lead pastor opening that door for me. I had that opportunity, which is incredible. Thank you. And yet, even as I walk through that door, I feel this internal resistance to it, um, which seemed in some way maybe a bit of that, that sticky floor. So I'd love to just hear more about what's happening in that and what you see in that. Well, that's a perfect example. The sticky floor is, as you said, Clint, um, that thing that not only do we have kind of that glass ceiling for women uh, that we bump up against that are the systems and structures, but our feet get stuck to that floor. It's those internal dialogues and mindsets and the conversations we have with ourselves that actually prevent women from taking advantage of leadership opportunities or going for the job or giving something a try or even just feeling joyful and fulfilled in their work. You know, they're battling this sort of internal doubt all the time. And my one disclaimer is now that I've been speaking about the sticky floor and female leaders for a couple of years now, I oftentimes have guys come up and be like, um, I think I have the sticky floor too. <laughs> and I would say this is really more of a phenomena of when you enter into a space, as you just described, Nicole, where you're new to something mm -hmm. and it feels like everyone else around you is competent and you're being measured for competency and you know you're incompetent, right? You're learning it. It's new. So we judge ourselves based on people like Dave, you've probably been preaching for decades. So when Nicole is like looking at you and she's measuring herself against you, it's a really unfair comparison, right? Because she's in her first or second year of teaching. It's actually and very unfair to me because she's such a good teacher. <laughs> So all of us can feel that way. For women, though, in the research, we tend to see the sticky floor show up a lot more because we usually are looking at female leaders who are going into spaces that are populated mostly by men. And I've chosen just never to call it male-dominated environments because when I work with especially Christian male leaders, I never find that they're dominating women, right? They're just overpopulated. And so, but just simply being in a room where you're the first or the only female or one of a few, automatically we kind of feel out of place, which makes us go, gosh, they're all kind of getting this. Why am I not getting this? And it could be the person is terrible as ex at explaining it and no one else gets it either, but we question our ability to get it, right? So then that kind of puts a ding on my confidence or I made kind of a rookie mistake and went over time in what I was teaching. Well, every new communicator goes over time. Like the number of campus pastors I've trained to give announcements that, you know, our goal is three to four minutes and they start out at 11. So I'm sitting down with my first debrief and I'm like, okay, great job. We got to pull it back from 11 minutes though. No one wants to hear announcements for 11 minutes. So it's everyone starts out new. And for female leaders, particularly, we oftentimes don't give ourselves the opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. And the only way you learn is to give something a try. And sometimes you nail it and sometimes you crash and burn. And sometimes you're kind of 50, 50, but for female leaders, we tend to be very perfectionistic and feel and take on a lot of pressure that isn't there from anyone else. We want to nail it every time mm -hmm. from the first day or we'd rather just not do it. 
And I have a feeling, you know, there are many leaders listening to us, particularly women who are thinking, oh, do I judge myself more harshly? Like if I turn down opportunities, because I'm like, certainly there's someone better out there. I don't know what I'm doing. They made a mistake asking me. They offered this to me, but they don't realize I'd have no idea what I, I just go to church and fake it. I'm not really this awesome. I only look good on Sundays. Like most of the time I'm in my sweats and a bun on my head, right? They have no idea how incompetent I am, right? We think these things, but you guys are amazing leaders. When you open the door for someone, you're doing it because you see great potential. Most women have a hard time seeing that. One of the research pieces around Sticky Floor is this idea that when guys look at a job description, if they feel good of about 60% of what's in that leadership role, right, a job they've never done before, they'll apply for the new job, a promotion, a volunteer role, whatever. They'll apply. They figure they'll get it. And they know they don't know 40% of what it is, but they'll learn on the job. They'll call their dad. They'll Google it. They'll fake it till they make it. They're like, I'm going to crush this job. That's their mindset. When most women look at an opportunity like that, they have to feel uh, 100% confident of every single thing on the job description, 100% from the first day, or they won't even apply. They won't even apply. Mm. Now think of our leadership cultures. We usually identify leaders because they apply for a job, or you say, I need some people, and who shows up? Well, you have amazing, highly competent female leaders who are sitting in your congregation, in your businesses, in your family, that simply don't raise their hand, and we assume they don't want to do it. They probably do. They just are so afraid of failing, of embarrassing you, of embarrassing themselves. And in ministry, the bigger pressure is I'm afraid of embarrassing or disappointing God. Mm -hmm. And so all of us as leaders who have sort of broken through that sticky floor or have any authority or you're a parent um, over a child, you can look at them and say, listen, here's what I see in you. I know you're judging yourself, but I don't expect you to be good at this for at least a year. Or you're already doing six of these 10 things. We're going to train you in the other four. Or hey, nine-year-old, uh, you can cook dinner. I know you're afraid of burning it, but I've eaten burnt dinner before. Just go ahead and try to make the lasagna and let's see how it goes. We love you. We're here for you. You can't learn how to cook a perfect lasagna till you've burned a couple and given you know at least someone food poisoning one time in your life. So <laughs> this is how you learn. It's just it's just helping female leaders who are very high pressure on themselves just be, have a more realistic. I don't believe every woman should be in leadership, but the women who should be need help imagining themselves growing into a role. And you want them now before they're perfect. So is our role in that, Katie, as male leaders to um, almost aggr more aggressively pursue the those potential female leaders than you would you would have to with men is that kind of what you're saying it is i would probably change the word to more intentionally recruit That's good. Yeah. because i think um the way guy leaders are recruited um when you when you feel good about 60% i mean if you were like me when i was leading at a high level at my church guys showed up on their first weekend and by wednesday i had their resume in my inbox right they're like hey here i am right there's sort of like this you want me and i want you and we kind of like do this thing well for women it's different right it's like hey nicole Tell me about what, what you've led in the past. What are you interested in doing now? I have this role. Here's what I see in you. It's, a, it's much more 
changing of a mindset. It's less about 17 emails or not letting her say no. And it's more about understanding and helping her imagine herself in that role and realizing what you see in her. In the research I did around women leaders for the book, uh, we found that most women who went into leadership roles in the church, volunteer mostly or staff, but who actually felt like they were using their gifts in ministry in their local church, had their leadership affirmed before the age of 19. Hmm. Think about that. Before the age of 19, someone looked at them and used the word leader. I think many women get affirmation, but they don't get affirmation around their leadership. They get affirmation around their high energy or you're a hard worker or you really, you know, love to serve people. Right. So I grow up thinking I'm a great servant. I'm a great helper. I've got a great personality. I'm a good friend. I'm a great daughter. I'm a good servant. Right. But I don't grow up going, I should tell people what to do. <laughs> or I should solve problems, or I could take on a role and actually have authority and make a difference in the world. I could create change, right? Leadership is really about initiating positive change. And so when we look at people um, now who are 30, 40, 50, 60, the people you would want leading in your church, right? They've been walking with the Lord a long time. They've been in your church a long time you know them, you trust them, they know and trust you, you have each other's backs. These are the women I would start with. It's not the, you know, the 21 year old new college grad who's excited for an internship. It's like the 45 year old stable, uh, competent, professional woman who probably has a call on her life, just never imagined she could answer that call in the local church. Well, that's, that's the conversation. And that's helpful because we've had, um, a little bit of an issue here where we've had women nominated for our servant leader team mm. and we've gone and invited them into that nomination process and they've just said, no, you know, don't want anything to do with it. So we've, as guys, looked at ourselves and said, what, is there something wrong with us if we created this like old boys club culture, like we don't want that. Um, but this helps explain a lot of what you're saying. Um, and I like your word intentionality, a little bit more intentional pursuit of female leaders. Uh, we have, we also have a few younger women who are like under that age of 19 that you just mentioned. Um, and I was part of our residency intern send program using those words leader. That's great advice. You know, um, I think that speaking those words into them would be really powerful. That's good. You describe another way of looking at this topic for maybe our more visual, uh, learners in the audience. Um, I, I'm thinking here of, like some concentric circles, where the largest circle is what church leadership has allowed in their theology or practices to allow women to do, then a smaller circle of that what's communicated publicly that women are capable or able of doing, and then even the smaller circle of what women actually self-select into. And I think ideally these would not be different size circles, but all the same, you know? <laughs> yes. So how, yeah. do, how do we as leaders go about um, resizing those circles down to meet each other? Yeah, that is a really excellent question. So one of the first things we found in our research is that it had uh, women thriving in all levels of leadership really came down to two things. The first thing was the individual practices of the leaders on the team, their leadership habits and the kinds of cultures they were creating on their teams and then collectively in the church as a whole. So one of the first and most important places to start is I love Dave, how you just said, like when we weren't getting women on our leadership team, what's wrong with us, right? So we want to start with like, what am I personally able to shift in my own life? 
that allows for more women. And I would say every leader should be asking this, particularly in today's world where we are having all sorts of conversations around bias and discrimination and non-inclusivity. This is an important question to always be asking ourselves in the kingdom of God, but especially right now. So all of us as leaders, no matter what our leadership platform, we need to be looking at the people in our teams and saying, do I actually have diversity on my team? Or is there something I personally am not intentional enough about? And I would say it doesn't have to be something we have to be mad at ourselves about. It's more about, you know, many of us have inherited these mindsets and habits or ministry uh, sort of ways of doing things that have propagated this. I've found that I've been a part of these decisions that I now regret. And so it's not my uh fault necessarily every time, but as the leader, it is my responsibility from this day forward. So what can I do to be more equitable in who I meet? How can I change my hiring or recruiting practices? How can I be looking at the statistics of my teams, both staff and volunteer teams? What do my pipelines look like? How can I be different six or 12 months from now, me personally? Then the second thing is, what are those systems and structures that we are doing where our theology is not matching the experience of people in our church? Mm -hmm. So if our theology, like at your church, is we strongly believe that women are gifted by the Lord with gifts of leadership, that leadership gift as well as the other gifts that have leadership qualities in them, and we want to empower them at any role that God has for them in the church. So if we don't, if we take a look and we're like, gosh, we actually don't have women at all the levels we would want them. Our our reality doesn't match our theology. Then we have some leadership to do, right? It's like, just like if we had only people over 60, it would be easy for an 18-year-old to come in and say, I guess you don't want any young perspectives. That probably wouldn't be true, but that would be an easy thing to assume. And so now if that is our theology, how do we go back through and find out where our uh, women getting a message that we don't intend, that big concentric circle. So some of the things to look at as a leader is what are your most public presentations? In church work, this is our weekend service. Do we have, in the topic of females, do we have women on our platform? Are they teaching? Are they leading worship? Do they hold the microphone? Are they ushers? Are they greeters? Are they in children's ministry? Are they in student ministries? All the places we see is their gender equity. And one of the most important things we can do is also ask do we see men in all those roles too? Do I see men on the platform? Do I see men teaching? Do I see men being greeters? Do I see men serving coffee? Do I see men being ushers? Do I see men in children's ministry? Do I see men in student ministries? If we're lopsided anywhere, we're basically saying our theology is we God gives gifts based on gender. And the theology is not that. And so making sure that it matches. Part of the reason we have to steward this as spiritual leaders is because we set theology as leaders and we implement that into our culture. But when people come in, they come into our culture and they learn our theology by their experience. Yeah. They don't go to your website and read a white paper. They don't look up where your degree is from in seminary and then look up their statement of faith and decide what you... They just know what they experience. So if you've got some usher that has an issue with women, shouldn't be counting money, and some woman applies to be an usher because she's a financial whatever, and he says, no, you should be a greeter because men are ushers, you would have no idea that's happening. But that just told her a lot about your church and the theology and who God thinks she is. And now a mature Christian would probably look at him and be like, you're crazy. But a new believer is going to look at him and say, oh, women can't do like who I am professionally is not welcome here. And many, many, many 
high capacity women have had that kind of experience at some place in their life. Probably not at your church, but somewhere. They're bringing that into your ministry and it's preventing them from feeling like they can be a part of who you are. Now, this applies to not only ministry teams, but even on staff at a church. Like we have a fairly sizable staff and I'd like to know your thoughts on just kind of focusing in on that like unconscious bias that we sometimes bring to the table about gender roles or whatever. So there's this idea that a woman might have feel like she needs to be more conscientious when uh, she's around others in the workplace or even serving on a team, like how the behavior will be interpreted. So will my actions negatively affect other women in the workplace? Or will my ambition to succeed be interpreted as like, greedy or hmm. climbing the ladder in some way, as opposed to where maybe uh, a, a man's ambition would not be viewed in that light. What, what can we do as okay. church leaders who maybe like would report to you that, oh, I, I disagree with those notions, but I might still be guilty of having participated in that in some way. What's your advice for people hmm. just trying to navigate that and lift lids? So one really important thing is to kind of look at our own thought process and the kinds of places we grew up in our leadership. So uh, our family of origin is a big place. The first church we ever attended is a big place. Our college years is a big place. And the profession we were first in is sort of a big place. We get formed in our leadership understanding in those areas. And so I encourage leaders to do just kind of a self-reflection leadership lifeline and write down the leaders you saw, the messages you interpreted, um, and kind of graph that out in terms of uh, your development. Who were the people I saw? Like one of the things that was helpful for me is to realize in the church I grew up in, even though uh, we never taught on male, female leadership, there were no women who got up to talk about anything other than the choir and children's ministry. Those were the only women who ever got in front of the microphone. And my mom was one of them. She was the uh, head musician and organized everything, a really prominent leadership role. She did it for 30 years. She's a big personality, a great leader. But when she would give up to give her announcement a few times a year, she would step up to the microphone and literally shrink down and become the soft, quiet, unassuming. And I'm like, who is that woman? <laughs> like, I've never seen that person except at church with a microphone. And so that really influenced how I viewed leadership and, and my role around gender and myself with it. On the other hand, I have some really great male leaders who really modeled a different side of leadership than what would traditionally be considered strong masculine leadership. The first church I served at on staff, really godly pastors who understood uh, emotional intelligence, who had a great heart for God, who understood how to care for people and nurture and mentor people. That really informed my view of masculine leadership that I would have missed had I grown up somewhere else. So those kinds of things can help us sort of carve back. What am I missing in my understanding? Then the second thing is to write out, what do I think a good leader looks like? What do I think a good leader looks like? And then do I have any genders in my mind kind of assigned to that? So I might think a leader is really strongly decisive. I might think a good leader uh, knows how to hire people well, is really encouraging. Or I might think a good leader is not afraid to make the hard call or not afraid, right? So I have a definition. And by the way, all of us have a different page of what that looks like. Yeah. When we say leadership, we all have a different script in our William mind. I thought of William Wallace from Braveheart. Mel Gibson. <laughs> when you said that, picture one. Oh, there he is. Yep. There's a man. So, 
many of us are striving to be that. We judge ourselves when we're not that. And we're holding other people accountable to that view also. Now, that comes into play around this topic because when people don't measure up to that viewpoint, we tend to have judgment on on them and on ourselves when we don't measure up. And that is a terrible way to look at leadership potential because God's uh, giftedness around leadership really has a lot more diversity than what kind of like our American John Wayne culture has sort of told us what a great leader is. In fact, right now we're sort of in this wave in the business world of emotional intelligence and more collaborative workspaces, right? That's sort of like the pendulum swinging away from that like big personality, the the lone ranger, you know, every everyone charge the hill and follow me, right? But that's really not been that effective. And so now we're pen- swinging the pendulum the other way. In 20 years, we're going to have to like find it back its way again, right? So all of those qualities matter. And that's why collaboration and partnership is so important. But we can really challenge our biases if we identify the defaults we have and expand it to more what Jesus's model of leadership really looks like. What do you think is something, so now that you have experience in the corporate world and in church world, what's something that the corporate world is doing really well in this area that the church could learn from? And then the opposite, what What's the church doing really well that the corporate world might learn from? Well, the corporate world is definitely decades ahead of us in terms of actually measuring their progress. I think as Christians, many times we sort of measure our desire and feel good about our hope for something to be different. We don't do a very good job of actually measuring whether or not we've achieved our goal. So I really encourage people in the book, uh, there's a whole checklist of things. You can just pull some HR records and look at percentages. How many women and men on your leadership team? How many women and men on your director team? How many women and men in your support staff? How many women and men in your leadership pipeline? How many women and men in your small group ministry? And you'll know really clearly whether you have equity because the numbers don't lie. So if that's where your numbers are and wherever they are, there's probably some improvement you want to make one way or another. So set some goals. One year from now, we're going to have it at this and then create some strategies and hold yourself accountable to it. That's They are amazing at that and the government and being able to sue someone has really helped them. The church is not far away from having discrimination cases brought against it. So um, that is something I feel like we need to do a much better job stewarding and holding ourselves responsible and accountable for. And by the way, when you measure one set of equity issues, you might as well throw them all in there because it's not just a gender issue. It's never been just a gender issue, but the public is now actually going to turn away from the Lord and from church if we don't start fighting for diversity as God calls us to. The second thing I would say, or the second thing of your question is, what is the church great at? The church is really much better at supporting women as parents. So uh, when, I mean, I think we talk about women's issues in, in work life. What we're really talking about is parenting. Now, women do have a lot of different seasons that are different than men, um, so we tend to be greater caretakers of our parents as they age. Um, we tend to be, have more responsibilities at home, even if we're single or if we're married. But it really, the rubber really meets the road when it comes to having children. That tends to be the big diversion in terms of career advancement. The church has a wonderful opportunity and is doing a much better job than the marketplace of prioritizing family, making accommodations for family, giving permission and championing women to be the moms they feel called to be. We need to keep doing that and do even more. We we can 
and are and should be setting the pace for this. I would say uh, that's with one caveat, which is that we tend to uh, support women uh, with our flexibility, but we don't support them with title and pay. And so my challenge for most leaders is when women start to have children or have a crisis with their family, like many women are having right now, we're losing um, really millions of women from the workforce right now because of children and virtual education and the crisis their kids, either academically or um, mental health wise, they're leaving the workplace because especially for godly women, you put their kids or their career up against each other. There's no choice. Like, am I going to be awesome in my career through COVID, or I'm going to make sure my kids don't end up in rehab at 20. I'm choosing my kids, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if that's the case, but we as leaders have an opportunity to say, hey, let's take a break from your job. Let's do FMLA. Uh, why don't you take a six-month leave of absence? Why don't, I, why don't you drop to part-time and we'll take the differential in your pay and give you a full-time assistant? Keep your title, still come to staff meetings, still run your team, but do it part-time. There's a lot of creativity we can do so that as women come back into the workforce or come back from having kids, they aren't five years or 10 years behind on their career. They've kept their foot not only on staff as the assistant or the coordinator or the honorary staff member, but actually as a leader doing great leadership work and they come back in at their level and just keep going. I'd be interested to hear, Nicole, what your perspective is on that. I mean, you've come from the mm -hmm. business world as well. Yeah. into a ministry job, what? how would you respond to Clint's question? Like things that you could learn from the business world that you've brought in? Oh, uh, yeah, that's really interesting. So for me, um, I'm still getting my arms around the difference of what I'm feeling in church world. It's different in a lot of ways um, in how I perform my job and, and what I'm responsible for and lead others. Some of that is has been a great thing of, of God's transforming power, leading in a different way. And yet having had instances of not here at Heartland specifically, but not necessarily um, being supported in the, the role that I'm in or, or uh, being in a meeting where I'm kind of just not looked at and, and it's my decision to make and, and mm. not seen. And when that first happened a few years ago, it was just shocking to me. I couldn't, I even doubted there was one of my peers was with me and I asked him, I said, is this, is this how you perceive that happening? Like, what was that? And, and he affirmed that that indeed was the case. So mm. still learning um, what that is and how I step well into that space. And you never had that happen in the business world. No, no, that was never anything that I that I bumped up mm -hmm. against. And yet we we just had one of our taking the other side, uh, one of our female leaders coming back from maternity leave. And Dave and I were able to meet with her of like, what what does what's next look like for you able to offer some of that flexibility to her. And that also was something that I never experienced in corporate. Mm. It was this is your role. This is how you fulfill it. And you can come back into it or not. <laughs> so that aligns pretty well with what Katie was yeah, just saying. Absolutely. Wow. That's so Absolutely. interesting. It's interesting. In the research we did for the book, we found that um, the longer a female was on a church staff, the less confident she became about her leadership capacity and abilities. Mm. So just think about that. The longer you're on a church staff, the less competent and less confident you feel. For men, it tends to be the opposite. The longer they're on a church staff, the more qualified, the more confident, the more competent as a leader they begin to feel. Oh, wow. So, what And a lot of it is that... Yeah resistance that Nicole is talking about. It's those um, 
like what the what the um, literature would call sort of like microaggressions, the dismissiveness, the being overlooked, the being left out of meetings, um, the guy speak, the mansplaining, um, those things over time. Uh, plus, you add in a lot of pressure from the uh, church community that most guys are unaware of mm-hmm. about uh, gender. And I mean, how many of you have had a family walk out on you while you were preaching? Probably none. Right. I actually have. That's the whole. <laughs> it actually happens on a regular basis, reason, but it's but not because yeah. I'm a man. <laughs> so for most women, that's a really common occurrence that just me showing up and being hired actually makes the church smaller and what feels like less effective. Now, it's in some ways, it's like such an honor that your leaders believe in you. But those things take a hit on you over time. I remember being on staff for a lot of years with a lot of people that we all came into staff together, all guys. We were growing. And they're, the congregation, out of just love for them as leaders and appreciative of their ministry, they're getting Disney trips for their families. One guy got sent back to seminary for free, taken out to dinner all the time, out on the boat. One guy got his whole landscape redone, a new roof, hardwood floors for your, right? I didn't get any fringe benefits. 16 years, I didn't I didn't have one person offer to take care of me as a pastoral leader. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't expect it, but I'm watching and I'm like, how are you affording that? Because I'm your boss and I know I make more money than you. How are you doing that? And they're like, oh, so-and-so, he's so generous. He's done this for everybody. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that's great, right? But it, mm-hmm. those things take a hit on you where it's, it's really hard to go to be judgmental and say, I'm a woman and so therefore... I won't get those things. It's easy to think, ah, I'm not connecting enough. I'm not relational enough. I'm not in the right circles. I'm not liking the right people on social media, right? I'm, what am I doing wrong that I'm not having the same experience as these guys? And so those things take a hit over time. And, and most people in the marketplace and most guys are kind of surprised to realize the weight that that carries um, when you've been on staff a while. Wow. Well, I appreciate you kind of giving words to some of that, something for me to be looking out for even in myself. And I'm interested, so I'm hearing kind of advice for the guys, like here's what it looks like as a male leader to help empower other female leaders. So I guess my question would be as a woman in a leadership role at our church, what does it look like for me? What is a role for me to play in that? In terms of being able to kind of speak up for that. Right, right. To yeah. help us kind of bring other female leaders along. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think to build a together future, right? John 17, where Jesus really looks into the future and prays for us, the disciples yet to come. He says, I really want you to be unified, right? Unity and togetherness is what's going to make a lost world realize how much I love them. So to work towards unity, we actually have to unify together around it. This is not an issue that women can champion for themselves only. And it's also not an issue that guys can do on behalf of women only. It takes all of us to sort of break down these habits and patterns of interacting and relating with one another. So a huge pay, a huge first step is really doing what we're doing now, which is just talking about it. And I think even Nicole, you're, you're, what you just articulated is basically saying like, I didn't even know how to describe this to someone, right? I needed right. to hear another woman who's a little further along in her processing of this to even give me words to be able to say, hey, this is happening. And then for you guys to be open enough to be like, oh my gosh, that is happening. And then for you to put you know, action to that and be like, okay, 
So when I hear about someone getting this wonderful gift from the congregation, am I making sure that everyone on my staff is getting loved by the congregation in an equal way? Because, I mean, we do take hits as and when you go into ministry. It's a lower salary than you could make in the marketplace. But the congregation usually makes up for that unless they're not doing that for you. So as leaders, you guys can advocate and champion not just for formalized leadership and benefits, but for all of those informal things that happen within your congregation. Um, I think women also can really own their own development and know what they're looking for. There's a syndrome in the uh, research called the white horse syndrome. And it's this idea that we will just sort of, you know, in humility and godliness, kind of sit back and wait for some guy on a, you know, shiny white horse to ride in and like notice me and pluck me from obscurity and bring me into leadership. And I don't have to say a word in order to be recognized. God's going to shine the Holy Spirit on me, right? Well, that's not really how leadership works. So I need to know who I am. I got to own my own leadership. At the end of my life, Jesus is going to ask me, Katie, what did you do with what I gave you? He's not going to ask my pastor. He's not going to ask my husband. He's not going to ask my dad. He's going to ask me, what did you do with what I gave you? And I want to be able to give a good answer. So I need to know how God has wired me and how God has gifted me. I need to mature my own gifts. I need to take advantage of the roles that, that my church has offered me to practice that. I need to ask for opportunities to grow in it. I need to read books about who I'm supposed to be and who God's made me to be. I need to own that because if I don't know who I am and what I bring and offer to the body, I can't expect my leaders to make a way for me. So if I know who I am and I'm growing into maturity, then I can come to my leaders and say, hey, I'm Katie Cole. I have these three gifts. I've done this stuff in the past. I'm really passionate about these kinds of people. Where would you like me? Put me in, coach, right? And it's your job to take that seriously and not say, well, we have an opening in the nursery, right? Unless that's actually what you hear me say. But help me find my spot that's like the intersection of my gifts and talents, my passions, and the church's needs, right? That's always the sweet spot of a leader. What can I bring and what do you need? And I have an agenda for my calling, but I have no agenda for how I serve. So I'm supposed to do these things. You're supposed to tell me where to put that. Well, to that end, for like as we wrap up here, uh, I'm hopeful that there's some women listening uh, and that you have developed this book to help women find their leadership voice among those other things that you listed to kind of harness that responsibility. It's not just leadership at whatever stage you're at that, has, that is uh, being vigilant to see that and acknowledge that in you, but to take control of your own destiny in a way. So here, do you want to talk a little bit about this and just what you're working on, what you're excited about? Yeah, thank you. So my, my first book on this topic, Developing Female Leaders, I really wrote for guy leaders to try and help shed the light on what's really happening in the women you're working with. What can you do to sort of step over that sticky floor? It's very practical, but it's really oriented to the guys. Um, and then this book is really, I wrote for women. It's for the Nicoles of the world and all the other women out there that are like, how do I do this? Like, I want to do it. I feel called to do it. I think God's given me the chance to do it, or maybe you have some um, opportunities in your life that are opening up. This is sort of the roadmap of how you 
help train yourself and own your own leadership. And when I say leadership, I don't just mean like a big job. I mean like you as a spiritual leader, the leader of your own life, a leader in the kingdom. As a believer, we are all leaders. And so how do I even know what kind of leader I am? How do I figure out my own giftedness? How do I know what my passion is? How do I even know what to ask my leaders for the opportunity to do? And then once I get a chance to do that, how do I shed that sticky floor? How do I walk in with confidence? How do I um, make sure I can have joy and fulfillment? How do I develop other people in their leadership voice? Uh, that's really, that's why we, we wrote it over 90 days. It's a lot of mindset shifting. It's a lot of reprogramming from the messages we've gotten from a broken sinful world that aren't God's messages to us. And it's time we rewrite those scripts. We don't just have to live with them. We actually can renew our mind, right? Offer our whole bodies as a living sacrifice, renew our mind in the truth of God's word, and then really go about our father's business. Well, thanks so much, Katie. Really appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat with us and love what you're doing. Keep up the good work. Thanks for joining us. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Heartland Leadership Podcast. Uh, we'll have show notes uh, down below uh, for links to some of Katie's recent work that we talked about. And be sure to like and subscribe. That's the best way to uh, support what we're doing. So we'll see you next time.